everyone. Welcome to Everyman BJJ, a weekly show covering MMA and BJJ news and training tips. Good afternoon, Frank. This is Noah Green. We're starting off our uh, Everyman BJJ podcast um, Sunday, uh, November 1st. We are closing closing in to the end of the year, one year on uh on YouTube and in distribution uh, as of December 15th. And I think this is podcast number 44-ish, plus minus one on that. So don't quote me on that. Um, but this this show covers everything from uh, jujitsu, uh, UFC, life philosophy, philosophy on the mat, off the mat, um, and basically that through the lens of your every everyday guy, but also uh, with the added aspect of um, your 30 plus years of uh, martial arts and fight uh, combat sports experience. So with that, all that said, um, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's a good Sunday. It's you know, colder here soon. So I'm just enjoying the sun. I'm enjoying that. We still have, you know, the sun tends to hide a lot more in the winter. So we still have a uh, pretty good sunshine each day. So I'm just happy I get out there as much as I can do a lot of writing. Uh, very creative time. I think 2020 has been, um, if you're an artist, if you're a writer, if you're a deep thinker, it's just really, um, it, it has, it has a lot to offer. And, you know, and this time you really illuminates what's important. And I always view myself as a writer when I was, you know, there's, when you talk about yin and yang, right, the balance of opposites and you've got pain on one hand, pleasure on the other, you've got force on one hand and flow on the other. Mm -hmm. And even my last name means force, right? Forza is force in Italian. And I spent my lifetime as an athlete as a philosopher, as a writer, as a creator, just trying to force things, trying to impose my will. Um, you know, that's a very wrestler mindset. Wrestling is not about letting things develop. Jiu-jitsu is more of that. Wrestling is about imposing your will, right? My mat and you just kind of a bully mentality, actually, in a lot of ways. We're going to impose our will. Very much American mindset. And I've learned with art, and jujitsu is an art, I've learned more to get out of the way of things. You don't always, you know, there's the balance of when do you force, when do you flow. And my writing has really benefited a lot from flowing more, not forcing it. You know, there's, so I've always been a perfectionist. And when you force things, you know, for some reason, it's the same in fighting. It's the same in a cage. When we're relaxed, we make better decisions. Our muscles are quicker when we relax. We have more endurance when we relax. If you're a creative person, an artist, a painter, a writer, you're trying with the right phrase, the right design. Those are really subconscious stream of consciousness. Let it flow things. We, we like to think we have control. Okay, make the perfect sentence come to me now. Make the perfect chapter come to me now. And it just doesn't work that way. It's it's very much a flow state. So I've 
this year, definitely, I've been more of a flow state, more of a conduit. In other words, I believe in higher power, and I believe if we open ourselves up, we can let we let that higher power simply work through us. We we think a lot of the times we have to do all the heavy lifting, but for those of us who believe in a higher power, I just hand it over and say to the higher power, you know, you please do it. I'll just you can just work through me. So more and more, Noah, this year I feel less of the weight of the world on my shoulders. I feel more free. I feel more flow. I just have confidence that the right ideas or creative ideas will come to me. The right things in my life will come to me. I don't have to force everything. I do have to work hard. I do have to be a man, a person of action. I do have to be organized. I do have to design my day, but I don't have to do all the heavy lifting and try to be perfect and put pressure on myself to, to do all these amazing things like I've done. I'm learning here at the end of 2020 to get out of my own way and to get out of my own way as an artist when I'm creating. I, I did very well as an artist, as a writer, you know, I was a journalist and a writer for many years. I did very well forcing things, but I never achieved. I think I blocked myself from from really achieving at even higher levels. I did very well forcing things. It's not as if you can force things and you can still get some spectacular results in anything. The thing is, it's just not the top of the pyramid. It's hard to get the top of the pyramid until we learn to flow. And it's usually a balance of force and flow. It's like a surfboard. When do you put your weight here? When do you put your weight here? When do you exaggerate your weight in one direction? But I always neglected the flow part. I always relied on the force. I put all my faith in forcing things. My willpower, me. Instead of learning to trust in something invisible, something higher, and, and saying, hey, you know what? It's already in you. If it's already in you, if it was already meant for you, if it's already in you, you just have to let it flow through you. You don't have to force it. It's already in you, right? Um, so that's a lot of writing now. A very, very fun time to write. You know, writing used to be very laborious, very tedious. It's very lonely. It's it, There's a lot of solitude in writing. And there was a lot, even though I, ha I was born with that skill, I was blessed with that skill, there was a lot I didn't like about writing. And now as I get older... I'm happy that I'm still alive. I'm happy that my brain still works. I'm happy that good ideas still come to me. I'm grateful. You and I have talked about this recently. I have so many stories in me that I want to tell. And I'm afraid I can see the hands of time. I can see the hourglass. I can see the time just, you know, the sands of time just drifting away in front of me now. And so there's more of an urgency to say, Frank, you've got all these stories in you, man. You got to tell them. I spent my life as a journalist, as a writer, interviewing other people, telling their stories, telling their truths. And now at this new season of my life, I'm like, Frank, you got all these good stories in you, man. Don't die with all these stories in you. Like, tell your stories. So writing, I've fallen. What I'm saying is I'm starting to fall back in love again with writing. That's, that, that's, that's wonderful. And the, more, and the more that I let the writing flow, the more that I don't force it, the more that I love and enjoy it. Right now, as you're as you're speaking to me, I want to um, I want to weave into this conversation um, the inner dialogue aspect, 
that um, that those things which we are we constantly tell ourselves when I when I when I say inner dialogue, um, it's more of like a recurring um, film strip. You know, it's the things you your habitual things you say to yourself in the moment. And right now, um, as you're reflecting upon these things and you're talking about how it's great, you know, and, you know, to be with, you know, to, to fire up the spiritual side. Um, you know, I a little bit lost my, uh, train of thought with this, where I'm going to take this. Um, but well, you were talking about the inner monologue, you were saying dialogue, but you meant, yeah, I say dialogue. Here's why I say dialogue. Because it's you're imagining one one on one shoulder, one on the other. You're imagining attention, sort of like it's your habitual your habitual mode of thinking versus what is outside of you and what you're experiencing. Um, I've been doing a lot of meditation lately, or daily meditation um, through the Sam Harris Waking Up app, and every day. Uh, there's there's a part of the exercise that I, you always come back to, and that's where when you're seeing out, see the see the seer. So it's it's more of uh, as you're taking in your visual field of view, see yourself seen, and. You know, that what I I think what that helps do is, and the reason why I'm bringing up the inner dialogue, because there's an inter there's an interaction between what your habitual conversation, what your habitual scripts are in in various uh, situations in your life versus seeing reality, seeing you see reality and what reality is. And, um, you know, as a lot of people are, you know, this, we're, we're a few days away from a pivotal election moment and there's a lot of tension out there. I feel the, the tension, but then I'm seeing that that's actually my tension. And as opposed to others, you know what, you know, and, and so stepping, just take a half step back from that when I talk about the inner dialogue or really you're right, there is a monologue. And that is for me, you know, you, you mentioned the words uh, perfectionist and, and to force things that actually is an internal script that you're repeating like a mantra because you're, it's, you know, you think about, uh, as analysts, as a writer, a lot of what you have to do is to, to is to dissect and to break down and to critique and to criticize. So being in that mode of criticism professionally, you know, I'm not when I talk about critical thought, I'm talking about analysis as opposed to synthesis, which is bringing together. Sometimes as a writer, I would assume you. Uh, uh, spend some time in the analytical side, the taking apart of things. And then there's the other times where you bring together the synthesis where w- that, which you've already broken apart, broken apart, you're rewiring together. But those modes of thought 
of when you're having to do that professionally, when you're writing and you have the constraints of the, you know, the four corners of a paper or your screen, it creates this habitual mindset where you have to be critical and you fall into patterns of thought of where you, where you get up from being a writer and you view the world from that perspective and you have a dialogue with the world inside of you where you have established this mode of thought, this mode of thought of critiquing. And I see this, you know, um, like when I see this with my stepdaughter, um, I take her to, to just practice kicking the soccer ball against a wall. And she starts criticizing herself about what she's not doing right. You know, cause she's, a, she's, you can see her mode of thought and her perspective of how she sees out in the world is analytical. She's dissecting and, and, and breaking apart and analyzing what she's doing wrong as opposed to what she's doing right, you know? And I think that's what you're saying. And I'm getting there and I'm getting to that spiritual aspect that, that you're out, you know, you're over there and you come in here and towards like that. And I'm analytical and see how I'm analytical and I'm, I'm breaking this down, you know, that's just the work that I've done as a professional all these years is to look at something, look at data and to be analytical about it. And that's kind of a dismal approach because you're always tearing things. It it looks like you're tearing things up. You're, you know, you're, you're destroying things. You're, you're you're criticizing and criticizing. And when I talk about criticism, um, that carries a negative connotation to it automatically. It's freighted with its own thought, but, I'm talking about it from uh, just being analytical, you know, criticism as opposed, as opposed to a synthesis, which is more, it seems more like an elaboration. It's, it feels positive. Yeah. So some days yeah, I don't, when you I mean, everything, so everything in the world relies on its opposite, right? So for, for pleasure to have any value, there has to be pain, right? For relief, to have any value, to feel a sense of relief, there has to be things like anxiety or pressure. Or mm-hmm. right? yeah. so, so for me with perfectionism, and I've had that for most of my life, um, it's not all bad, right? There's a, there's an upside to perfectionism. We see that with athletes. We see athletes that are hypercritical of themselves. They want to fix every mistake. And we've seen some of the best. We've seen some of the best in any industry. Um, that are perfectionistic. I actually think from my vantage point in different ecosystems, I would say the perfectionist personality is probably in terms of commercial success, in terms of the way that America tends to define success, the perfectionist thing is good if you want to go there. If you want, if you feed off of doing the impossible or doing extreme things or doing what very few can do, being a perfectionist is probably an advantage there from what I've seen. However, Heavy lies the cross, right? Heavy lies the throne. It, it, it can certainly create a person that is insatiable, a person that's never happy, a person that's never satisfied, a person who feels a lot of pressure, even though they may thrive under pressure. They're constantly putting their body, their hormones, their adrenal glands. They're constantly putting themselves on that pressure. They're constantly a lot of times burning the candle at both ends. And at some point, it just gets heavy. And a lot of times when we're perfectionistic, we're not as accepting of other people's flaws. We tend to be more very judgmental, right? So we can be 
lot of times if you're a perfectionist and if you're hypercritical of yourself, guess what? You tend to be hypercritical of other people. It's a yeah, that's right. That's you know, a lot, yes. a lot of times it, it's very judgmental. It can mm -hmm. affect our personal relationships. And so to me, there are very much seasons of our life. And to me, at this season of my life, that perfectionism, there is a paralysis sometimes to that per perfectionism. It, it doesn't serve me anymore. I'm ready to balance it. I'm ready to go on the other extreme. I'm glad I got to experience it, Noah. I'm glad I got to navigate it. I'm glad I did. There were a lot of good things in training on jujitsu mats and off. You know, a lot of the people that really liked me like me because my standards are pretty high at certain things. They like me because I'm ultra disciplined at certain things. They like me because I'm kind of, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming at extraordinary in certain, in certain ecosystems. So some of my best friendships are people that understand that and, and appreciate that. But at, at the end of the day, we, we wake up and, and day after day after day, sometimes you just realize you're like, you know what? I think it's time for a change. Whatever that may be, somebody wakes up, they decide that they've been afraid to train jujitsu, they've been making excuses, they're afraid they're going to get hurt, and they decide to start going, and they decide to keep going. We're just open to change. I, you know, 20 years ago, I wasn't, it didn't bother me that I was perfectionistic. I just, I was ignorant or whatever, it, or I was getting some some victories for it, right? It was benefiting me in some ways. Maybe, maybe I felt like I was winning more than I was losing. It, it, you know, the pros outweighed the cons. But we get to certain seasons of our life, like you were saying, we do an analysis of our life. We do an analysis. Are we getting the results we want to get? Are we making the changes we want to make? And I've looked at it and I've thought, well, certainly at this season of my life, it doesn't serve me that much anymore. Yes, so yeah. why not? Right. Why not? Mm -hmm. Why not sometimes? Why not do the opposite of what we've been doing? If we've been doing something, we haven't been getting the results. What about doing the opposite? Like just common sense roto-rootering, right? Like, all right, you know what? That force thing, that imposing your will thing, yes. it worked when I, was a high, when I was a high school wrestler. It worked pretty well. It worked pretty well, right? I had some really good results. But at this point in my life, because the world changes too, the external conditions change too. The world is ready for some things and it's not ready for others, right? So the world changes too. And when you look at the ecosystem and the landscape in the world today, um, the perfectionist personality is kind of like in, in many ways, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but so I was like, they're the jerks, they're the a-holes, they're the whatever, they're the think they're better than anybody, they're the tough managers, they're the tough leaders, they're the tough coaches. And in many ways, the world, our world, at least our country, more and more doesn't like that. It doesn't understand that personality. It doesn't want the baggage that comes with that personality. Um, we want team now. We want teamwork. We want you to be cool. We're worried about our culture and our company. We're not worried about how good you are, how great you are, how brilliant you are. We're worried about our culture. We're worried about. Can I interject with this though? Yeah. Can I yeah. can I interject with this because I want to, sure. um, I, because I think there's another influence here that it's not so black and white as 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 that as it is team, and 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 that's um, and I'll start by I'll, I'll express this by saying. What I love about training at Henzo's, okay? When you train under the Gracies, there's something beautiful that if you've never experienced it before in your life, in your professional life, in your career, you 
you see it and you experience it and you're like that i want that i want that in my life uh, and 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 it's this it's called a growth mindset you know what when we talk about this criticism thing this perfectionism thing um and, and you know the the inner dialogue that we have when i started training at henzo's um and any any of the gracies there they never said wrong they never said you're not doing it right they never were they never approached this with an analytical mindset okay what they would what they would say is it's almost there you know it, you know it's, they would they would encourage you and and nowadays this is called a growth mindset as opposed to um um, you know what is what is the opposite of growth mindset? You know a decay mindset, or you know one that boxes you in, or I would tell you a perfectionist mindset, uh, because it's a growth mindset. Is you have your potential there? Let's let's work towards that. So it, you know it's very self. Uh, uh, it was a very positive environment. You know, whenever I go in, you know, white belt and I've got Neiman, you know, boa, you know, he'll, he'll praise you, you know, even if you're getting like half right, because then he'll say, OK, now just get that a little further there. You know, put, you know, grab this, grab that lapel a little higher. You know, he's not saying no, not enough. It's all it's it's never like, no, it's never of using that. And. And I've tried to, you know, I've thought about this for years, you know, of how they approach it. Because I'll see not, I'll see, I'll see black belts teach a class that are not Gracie, and they don't have that same um, accepting, non-perfectionistic, um, or I should say, it's just I, I can tell, like Henzo, you know, it, there's something there where it's, you don't get beat down in a sense. It's a very positive experience. And it's a growth mindset. And um, this, uh, you know, we can get into what, it, so I'm saying, you know, as opposed to this perfectionist mentality versus t- all team, I would say there's also another th- factor there. And that's the rise of the growth, the growth mindset approach to things, which is start small. You know, let's well, talk I about would say the popularity of growth mindset has been around forever. Like, no offense to anybody who's teaching this stuff, but in human performance and motivation, this stuff's been around for, for thousands of years. It's not new. There mm-hmm. may be new ways of saying it. There may be new ways of teaching it. None of it's new. The principles, the winning principles in most ecosystems, none of that's new. What's new is the popularity and the availability of it, right? And then they have apps. They've made it very easy for people you know, in the past, growth mindset, you had to be either a really, really smart person, you had to get lucky with a mentor, you had to come across the right books, or you were just screwed. Now, it is fairly ubiquitous. It's it's at your fingertips. It's, it's served you on a silver platter, and somebody else did all the heavy lifting. You don't have to earn the levels now. The levels are just handed to people, right? People don't have to go through the trial and error and suffer and you know, now people can be handed a lot of these, um, you know, mindfulness and growth mindset. A lot of this is available on a silver platter. I would still say, and I would say it, this is just my opinion. 
I still think, I still think, I think in many ways, and you know, I gave the TEDx speech on ego and said a big ego, we titled it a big ego gets a bad rap. I still think that perfectionism has a place in the world. I still think that a lot of incredible achievements are done uh, when people are using perfectionism as a fuel. I don't think that it is just this bad, terrible thing. I don't think it's for most people. And I do think that like everything else, it has a pro and a con. And it may even have a season in our life. In other words, it may be the right fuel or the right demon chasing us at a certain time in our lives. And mm -hmm. if you're really built that way, like a Navy SEAL or a Tom Brady or a Michael Jordan or me, you might be able to get some, or Dan Gable, you might be able to get some incredible results from it. But realizing that, again, we all, the, 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 the life changes, the circumstances change, we change at different seasons of our life, realizing that if we build upon that foundation of I'm going to be a perfectionist, realizing that it comes with cons and it can also blow up in our face that it's not an end-all be-all, that it can be, as you're referencing, it can be amazingly destructive. It can, it can overwhelm us. In fact, it can cause, when we talk about like in jiu-jitsu where people come in and then they quit, right? People show up and then most people will quit. They won't even make it to one stripe white belt. And when we look, if you're a perfectionist, you might even be more prone to quitting, which is ironic, right? That's kind of a paradox. We say, well, wow, a perfectionist would might be more likely to quit, right? The kid who comes in and is getting tapped in the first week and is so humiliated by it. Or we see that with a lot of really good athletes, right? That's why a lot of the best athletes, the natural athletes who come into jiu-jitsu, they don't last. Why? Their egos, their perfectionism, their expectation is, I'm the really good athlete. I'm supposed to be winning. And they're coming in to a jiu-jitsu practice week one, week two, week three. They're not winning. In fact, uh, smaller people are beating them, beating them. Scrawnier people beating them. Maybe, heaven forbid, a girl is beating them, right? And that's very hard if you've got these outsized expectations, if you've got a big ego, and if you've got a perfectionist thing, it can be hard to be patient and suffer through that. So perfectionism can, you know, I, I'm not here to suggest that perfectionism is always the right button because, in fact, I think it makes a lot of people quit. They come in with unrealistic expectations. They think they're supposed to be really good really quick. They think they're not supposed to lose. They think they're just supposed to pick it up like that. And they've got yeah. these sort of perfectionistic ideals, this perfectionistic expectation in their head. That's not how it works. I've yet, this is an interesting thing. I have yet to see, and I've seen, I came from a wrestling background. I've seen a lot of wrestlers come in their date, their first day on a jiu-jitsu mat. I've seen judo coke come on there. I've seen people that were good at a really good athletes come in. I've yet to, I'm talking about at a reputable gym, like a Henzo Gracie's or a Robert Drysdale or a good Alliance affiliate or, or Optos, just somewhere where there's good jiu-jitsu. If there's 20, 30, good jiu-jitsu players on the mat i've never seen anybody come in there day one and be beating everybody i've never seen it i've never seen the phenom who steps foot day one week one and is just beating everybody at a good gym never seen it everybody i would love to see the day that that comes i've seen the really good athlete that stalls right that plays anti-jiu-jitsu and just stays real safe and does nothing and then thinks that they're good right because maybe a black belt didn't tap them 20 times, maybe they only tapped him four or five times because the really good athlete day one, week one comes in and stalls. I've seen that. 
But if you see what you show me, somebody who's a really good athlete, they come in there and they actually play jujitsu, not anti-jujitsu, not play it safe, not just be a frozen statue or put their elbows in dinosaur elbows, have good posture. And then the, 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 the training session's over and they feel good because they only got tapped eight times or something. They feel like they're God's gift to jujitsu. Look at how good I am as a natural athlete. I came on the mat. See, this stuff doesn't really work. I didn't get tapped that many times. I've seen that a time or two. But I've never seen anybody come in there day one. I don't care how great a wrestler you are or whatever. If you're actually playing jujitsu and mixing it up, I've never seen one that came in there and was winning and beating the decent, even the decent players of the good ones. I've never seen it. So what that tells us, we all know, is if you're coming in day one, be humble and be realistic that you are going to get tapped and you're going to get tapped a lot. And if you are so perfectionistic, that and so egotistic that you cannot handle that well that partly explains the 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 rate of turnover the extremely high number of people that come and go so all i'm saying there is that to me there is a balance of perfectionism it can be good that someone has a fuel to be like has this idea in their head of like of of what perfection looks like like and and they're chasing it but to actually get it, it's kind of like the, the best analogy I would say for perfectionism is kind of like getting your black belt, right? You, we all, as we get closer, we get our, our blue belt turns into our purple belt. Our purple belt turns into our brown belt. Our brown belt turns into a one-stripe brown belt, then a two-stripe brown belt, then a three-stripe brown belt. And then your brain starts working like, well, when am I getting my black belt? You see other people get their belts and they go, whoa, I'm getting close. And, you know, when is that going to happen? And am, am I allowed to ask my instructor? No, I can't ask my instructor. And then you get the black belt and it's emotional and you cry. And then you think about it for a couple of weeks and then you realize, oh, my gosh, I there's a there's a lot of jujitsu. I don't know. I know the jujitsu I know is less than the jujitsu. I don't know. And now I know that I don't know. Oh my! And that's what black belt, and that's that's the paradox of, of of that whole thing. And perfections like that too. Somebody can set these lofty goals and ideals, but realize, are you going to get that? Yeah, you ain't getting it. You're not getting it. So one day you realize, at some point, you're like, it's kind of futile. I need to change that and modify and adapt mm. that because yeah, I got some mileage out of it, but it's kind of futile. You can't go to the top with that because the other thing is too, Noah. Even if they're a perfectionist and you won every title, whether you were a jiu-jitsu athlete, UFC champion, you could, you know, it's like they say, you could, what good does it gain someone if you, if you, you know, if you win the world but lose your soul? You could be, you know, someone could be such a great athlete and such a high performer and maybe they thrive in this perfectionism and they thrive with all the high pressure, but maybe they're not the most likable person. Maybe they're not the best father. Maybe they're not the best husband. Maybe they're not the best, like, Person. We're talking about life balance. It, it does me no good. And I had to learn mm-hmm. this. It does us no good if we are the world champion athlete, even if we get everything. And and we look at ourselves in the mirror and we don't like the person that we are. Yeah. We don't and, and I will say honestly, there were <clears throat> tournaments that I did in jujitsu where I realized I wanted to win so bad, I was so ultra competitive. And I'm like, I don't like myself this week. I don't like mm. myself. There have been many times the week leading up to a tournament, I did not like myself. I didn't. You're going to find this hard to believe. We only have 15 minutes left here. Yeah. Yeah. But I, mean, I only want to interject that um, to help you um, so that you can spend the next 15 minutes 
driving home your point sure. here. So, yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that, buddy. Yeah, no, you, 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 you can carry it from here. No, with, with so no, no, no. I, 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 in fact, I love what you're saying because um, it's, you know, this, this, what we're talking about here in this inner dialogue, um, you know, Lance Armstrong, I don't think he gets it yet. I don't think he gets it yet, you know, because he had that strong will to win, you know, amazing winner. Yes. But um, he lost. I mean, he lost. I think that the price he paid as far as being in humanity was greater than the reward. And financially, um, you know, as, as an example, there um in no these these are noah these are hard conversations we have to have to ourselves and the smart person just mm -hmm. like a samurai right you have you have the you know the, the the old italian mafia used to talk about they had wartime consigliaries and they had peacetime consigliaries and they were usually different like the uh. the, the, the attorney right the attorney to the godfather was like you know it's different you had some some attorneys that were or counselors that were consigliaries that were phenomenal in wartime, but they weren't the right voice to have in the Godfather's ear in peacetime. And, mm. and the same thing with like a samurai. You have the samurai when it's time to battle, then you have the samurai when, you know, now there's cannons and there's guns and there's whatever, and now you've got all these samurai ideals, you've got the samurai spirit, but there's no more need for the samurai, right? Like, you know, they, they've got these big militaries with cannons and, and bullets and and you know lo these long rifles—they don't—they don't need you anymore. You're, you know, everybody admires the samurai, but now they've got these little armies. They could—they could have an army of cowards with guns and cannons that would beat the samurai, right? Yeah. But we still admire the samurai. So, so the question is, what does the samurai do when the time for being a samurai on the field and when that's done? Like, what does the samurai do? What do we do in those in those different seasons of our life when you look and you say, okay? Just winning at a sport is not enough in this life. I mean, then I you go asymmetrical warfare. You go asymmetrical warfare, which is guerrilla warfare. You know, um, you, you you go to heel hooks. <laughs> That's what I gotta say. You go to heel hooks. Asymmetrical warfare. I'm gonna take out your legs and hide mine. <laughs> Sorry, but it is in a way. What I'm saying is, you know, with the, you know, oh, my cat's coming at me. Hold on, buddy. <laughs> Speaking of warfare, this guy. Um, um, but I mean, I've, gotta, I've been, you know what, you, you follow, we, we follow each other on social media. And I think yeah. anybody, anybody who reads my posts nowadays can see that I post, I post about maybe some people would say sappy, cheesy, lovey, lovey things and peace and love and, some of my posts are about that and they're genuine. And I'm not saying that I'm Mr. I mean, I'm not Mr. Peaceful. I'm not Mr. Loving. I'm just a person that pays attention to it now and realizes what I've been missing. I realize what I've been lacking and I'm not this super authority on love. I'm not this, I'm not this Nelson Mandela or this Gandhi on peace, but I'm just somebody who's now opening himself up to that and paying more attention and realizing what I've been missing, realizing what I've been lacking and realizing that I haven't always been the most peaceful, loving 
person. And some of it's because I've been super selfish with my goals. Yes, I was a coach. Yes, I was an editor. I care about people. I've, I've, I've taken a lot of phone calls. I've helped people. I've mentored some people. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I've been very selfish in a lot of ways too, as a high performer, right? As a high mm. performer at whatever I'm doing, I have also been very selfish. And, well, that's and a I separate now. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was gonna, that's like, separate from being, that is separate from being egotistical. I think this is a nuance. It's a nuance. When you're goal directed and you got to get something done, you know, when you got to get something, when you got to get something done, that's not, uh, I mean, that, that's not, you know, there's, you know, as I said, there's positive criticism and negative criticism. I think that, you know, when you're goal directed and like, I want to achieve this goal, you can achieve it in ways that are healthy, you know, you know, uh, what if there's a draw and both of you are standing at the top of the podium, you know? Okay. You get what I'm saying? If you both score seven and you get the gold, there's two golds. It's a draw. Well, I'll say this, and and this is a topic for another day. Um, but a lot of the people I would say, especially the high performers out there, I would say 99 out of a hundred that are saying, Big ego, you know, you can't have a big ego. They have a big ego. It's that's the irony. Like most of the people I see that are super high performers that are like, swallow your ego, check your ego at the door. They have massive egos. That's that's very ironic, right? So it's yeah. like they're mad, they're mad at something that's actually worked out pretty well for them. But I get what they're saying because they might not realize, A, they might not realize how big their ego is, and B, if they're in a coaching role. If they have, if they're encountering athletes that have big egos, it can be very problematic. It can be hard to coach that athlete. So they're saying, "I hate a big ego, Frank. I hate it. These my athletes are so much harder to coach when there's big egos, and it it's a cancer to the team." I get them saying that, but the irony and the paradox being, you know, you got a pretty massive ego, buddy. Like how ironic that you don't like them and that you hate them and you want to purge them from your gym and your ecosystem, right? Yeah. Because your yeah. ego is pretty massive. These guys are ready to fight. You know, if you want to test their egos, just you know, challenge one of them to a fight or something that, you know, they'll, they'll want to kick your butt. They're not, or try to try to take the gold medal from them at a tournament. You know, they're going to try to take your head off. So it's, but, but all I'm saying here is that there are seasons to our life and the right button to push can change. And it just, at this chapter of my life, I haven't gone completely soft. Like, but I do have, as you can see, I have a little more lovey dovey thing going on in me now. And it's true. Now, having said that, just when I think the lovey that this lovey dovey, you know, poet guy is going to take over, someone will do something knuckleheaded to me, and I'll and I'll have the growl. I'll have the old like the street kid Baltimore Frank comes up, you know, and he and he's kind of there and lets me know he's there. I'm like, whoa, I'm not, I'm not just Mister Lovey Dovey, right? I still got, I still have a chip, um, I still got pride, but I think I'm shrinking it, and I think it needs to be to be shrunk. And I'm just, and it's just balance, right? It's just balance. If you've spent all your life in perfectionism and forcing things, the only way to balance that is to do the opposite. Okay, let's let's let more things flow. Let's shrink the ego now. And probably from since I had a massive ego, and then if I start shrinking it, I'll probably have balance. I won't have no ego, but I'll just have some balance there. And it'll maybe it'll look pretty. Maybe it'll maybe I'll wear it beautifully at some point. So I'm really just like, all right, I built these muscles up. 
Let me build up my humility muscles. How about some humility here? How about some flow? How about not judging myself and others so harshly, right? How about that? And since I've already done the opposite, I know how that feels. I've gained the experiences. I've gained the knowledge there, some knowledge. And now, okay, yeah. let's balance it, right? There's and a paradox so I, there. Yeah, some, somebody who has no ego. If they were an athlete, I might make the argument that we need to pump them up a little bit. Like we might have to like pump up their, you know, I'm the best, I'm the greatest. We might have to put a little Ali in them because they don't, they got to have some of that. They don't have to tell the world. They don't have to spike the football, but they got to have some of that. They got to have some of that a little bit like, Hey, if you were, if you were starving and there's, and there's one piece of bread and you got to fight for that piece of bread, you got to have some of that. Hey, that's my piece of bread. Yes. You can do what you just said. We could say, Hey, there's one piece of bread, Noah, I'll cut half of it. We could do that too. But unfortunately the best we've seen in the combat sports are usually the ones that like, they're going to win that piece of bread. Like they're going to, they're going to fight. They're going to feel like that's their piece of bread. They're going to fight you tooth and nail for that piece of bread. And then hopefully when they get to where I'm going, at least now, one day they'll, maybe they'll win the piece of bread and then they'll be like, they'll cut it in half and say, here, bro, thanks for that good struggle there. Now you there go. you go. See that? Yeah. That, that's a good yeah. way to approach that. You know, I, I'm, I'm just starting another book. Um, and it's something like the Mel Brain or something. And it's talking about, you know, it, I'm in the very first few minutes of it. And the the author's talking about all these different type of hormones that are in the body. Prolactin, and, and which is about uh, nourishing, you know, raising a child in men. Uh, and uh, testosterone, obviously. But then there's a lot of other cortisol, which is that edginess. You know um, that heightened awareness, watchdog kind of thing. So everything you tell them, maybe it's just you know there's a little bit of um, you know hormonally, um, you know there's certain hormones. It's a soup. It's not just testosterone we're only. Our, we're feeding our hormones. Maybe we're just feeding our hormones and basically right. you're reacting from yeah. But the only point I wanted to make today in our and, and I know this is a quick this is a quick episode. Um, you were like under, under five minutes here, but, um, um, the only point I want to make here is see if you can just look from the outside at what you see, you know, that, that meditation of see the seer and listen. And, and would you think about listen, saying things to yourself in a different way to grow? That's the growth mindset in essential, in, you know, in essence is stop telling yourself you're not good enough. Stop saying it's not right. Th- what is wrong? Criticize, criticize. And like the way you're approaching it is see the bigger picture, see the beauty in what you do. You know, my, my Barambolo is not a Barambolo with a capital B. In fact, it just might be a bear. <laughs> you know, It's just, but it doesn't, you know, it's my barambolo and, and it's something I can nourish. It doesn't need to be perfection in right now. Well, Later on, maybe if I'm at the world's, we'll worry about that. If, you know, if you ask most fighters, if, if they would like their child, their son or daughter to grow up and be a fighter, if you ask that question, now, I'm basing this only on, like, 
60 or 70 fighters in my life that I've encountered where that question was asked. And I think that, that what's true of that 70 fighter sample is probably true if you tested all the thousands of them in the world. So if you ask most fighters, would you want your son or daughter to grow up and be a fighter, a professional A cage fighter, fighter you mean? A, a cage um, fighter. Cage fighter or boxing. Okay. Over Overwhelmingly, probably 95 out of 100, you're going to get no. Hmm. You're going to get no. And that's very fascinating. It's like, it's like with old mobsters. With old mobsters, most of them didn't raise their kid. The real mobsters that did really well and made money and laid low, they didn't want their kid to grow up and be a mobster. They sent them off to college. They wanted them to learn real business. They wanted them to legitimize. They were like, don't choose this life, kid. I've done something wrong. The smart ones, I've done something wrong. If you grow up and be a godfather or run into mob business like me, I failed, right? So it's interesting to see that a lot of the really high up mobsters didn't want their kids to be mobsters. Most fighters don't want their kids to grow up and be a fighter. What does that show us about human psychology? I believe that's true in a lot of professions that are really hard, that are really dangerous. What, you know, coal miners, they don't want their kids to grow up and be a coal miner a lot of times. What is that? Or, you know, the farmers, even a lot of farmers, we saw that in the old days. There was a point where the farmers started raising their kids. Don't, don't get out of farming. Get out of farming. I want you to go to college. I want you to do something else. Don't do this. It's too hard of a living. There's not enough, there's not enough money. It's a harsh way of living. Now, what does this tell us? where somebody may say, I love being a farmer. I don't recommend it for my kid. I love being a, a, a fighter, pro fighter. I don't recommend it for my kid. Uh, you know, what that tells us is it's one thing for us to have the standard, like maybe I'm okay with perfectionism, but I'm thinking if I see it in my son, I'm like, oh my goodness, I, ha I can be very stubborn. When I see the stubbornness in my son, I'm like, Oh man, we got to break him with the stubbornness. That's going to really hurt him in life. Right? <laughs> like, you can't. <laughs> I know where he got it from, but I'm still thinking. I'm just like, oh, man, please don't be as stubborn as I was. And then I see him. I'm like, oh, my gosh, goodness, he's as stubborn as I am, right? Yeah. And so there's a lot of that, even with perfectionism, where a lot of us might, whether it be because of hormones or testosterone or ego or whatever we love, we love oxytocin, whatever we've fallen in love with, whatever hormone cocktail that we get that high, um, but we, we, when we sit back and realize, we're like, oh my God, this is a hard way to live, or this is, this is, this is really heavy. This is heavy stuff. This is, this is a lot of suffering that goes with this too. You know, with when you get to be that high up and you can't afford to lose, and you're, you've got so much psychological pressure on yourself, and, and, you know, and we, and we think, well, okay, I can tough it out. I can deal with it. But I hope my son or daughter doesn't have to. I hope that they aren't perfectionistic because that's really, that's really a tough way to be, you know? And I think that, you know, that's how we can feel about a lot of qualities where we're like, well, maybe I'm tough enough to deal with it, but you wouldn't want to see your friend go through it. You know, maybe you're tough enough to deal with something, but it hurts you when you see your friend go through it, even though you might be built, you might be built to handle that. But you, your advice to your friend might be, Hey man, don't do that. It's, it's such a hard, you know, hard road. Don't do, you don't want to see, you don't want to see your friend go through that even though you might be okay if you go through that, like, you know, it, it might. So it's, it's weird. Like our minds are weird where sometimes we're, we love some things or we fall in love with things or we even fall in love with bad habits, but we don't actually recommend them for most others or our kids. 
we wouldn't recommend them. You know, we're, we're strange human beings. We're strange like that. There's some things that we do that maybe we get, you know, that, that we love or we fall in love with even our own bad habits. But we, if a friend called us, we'd be like, Oh, don't do that. Don't do yeah. that, bro. <laughs> That's not a good decision. <laughs> it's almost it's probably... like we've, yeah, we, 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 we get so caught up and we get off the rails, but we wouldn't recommend someone else do it. You know, yeah. strange. Um, I'm going to have to, uh, uh, close this one out already. You know, this is a very tight 45 minutes. Um, you know, get in, knock out, knock out the podcast, trim out the fat and move on. Um, it's just kind of a busy weekend over here on my side of the, on my side of the, uh, screen, but, um, pleasure, Noah. you too. Uh, let's see if we can do a, another one, um, post-election, maybe on Wednesday. Um, okay. Wednesday or Thursday, uh, we can get together and talk. Um, and, and now when there's a bit of resolution, hopefully in, uh, in the world, um, at least we'll know what the next four years might start to look like, hopefully. Yes. Um, but anyways, uh, Frank, why don't you close this out? I open this up. You close this down. You're the pro. Noah, thank you so much. I love, you know, it's, it's always a pleasure. My, my good friend there. Um, thank you everybody for watching our email. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, uh, good or bad, you know, just be nice, but we're, we, we're tough here. As long as you just doing it respectfully, you can criticize us. We're, we're open to that. We want to get better. Every man, BJJ at gmail.com. We convene every Sunday and we shoot a podcast 1 30 PM Pacific time. And yeah, I know we're, we're, we're just churning them out. Like year's almost over. We've stuck with it. So it's been it's been a pleasure, my friend. You have a great rest of the day, whatever you're up to. Thank you. I appreciate it. You do the same. Take care. Bye. That's it for today's episode of Everyman BJJ. Thanks for listening. Look for new episodes of Everyman BJJ every week wherever you get your podcast or at everymanbjj.com.